Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me this morning to to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hallelujah. Let's start in verse 1, but I really want to pick up in verse number 6. But just to get the, the, uh, the setting and the context, we'll start in chapter 2, verse number 1. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I want you to notice the phrase there, human wisdom. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then he goes on to say, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Before we go further, I want you to notice he talks about that uh, the wisdom that he's talking about is not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age. I think last week I pointed out that he wasn't talking about the civil leaders, the rulers at that time, for instance, in the Roman Empire. Those weren't, that, that was not what he was talking about. If you hold your place here and go over to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. Ephesians chapter six, and look at verse number 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle or like, you know, some people take this verse out of its context and try to uh, imagine this, this big uh, wrestling and fighting and getting down in the trenches and, you know, and, and uh, entering into spiritual warfare and, and all sorts of, uh, uh, of uh, things that, uh, that aren't according to the scripture. Uh, I like another translation, if I can see it here in the small print in my Bible, the Rotherham Translation as well as the 20th century New Testament says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And uh, the Williams translation says our contest is not against flesh and blood. And the Phillips translation says our fight is not against flesh and blood. So don't take this word wrestle and try to uh, uh, impugn to it some, you know, some sort of, of uh, extra meaning that's not there. He says for our our 
uh, struggle or our contest is not against flesh and blood, but notice against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, wickedness in the heavenly places. So going back over to 1 Corinthians chapter two, when he's talking about the rulers of this age, he's talking about this host of, of uh, spiritual rulers, this, I call it the, the dark world, the, the, the world of Satan and his cohorts and the evil spirits that are under his control. And uh, so that's, that's who he's talking about here when the rulers of this age. So go back and, and, and read verse six up, uh, read verse six again, pick up with that, and then go on a little further. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, as you know, any time... Uh, uh, someone is going to speak. They have to use the language that their, their listeners speak and use terminology that people are familiar with in order to get your point across. And so here when it talks about the mystery, it said we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Uh, according to the New Testament, the word mystery means a hidden truth that God ordains to be revealed. Now I have read just a little excerpt of the definition of this word from uh, uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words in the past, but I've never read the whole thing. I wanna read the whole definition that uh, W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, what he says about this word. The word here, mystery, is, is the Greek word mysterion. It is the Greek word that uh, our word mystery derives from, okay? But in the original Greek, mysterion, primarily, it says it pri it's primarily that which is known to the mystes, mysterion, that which is known to the mystes, the initiated. Among the ancient Greeks, quote, the mysteries, unquote, were religious rites and ceremonies practiced by secret societies into which anyone who so desired might be received. Those who were initiated into these quote unquote mysteries became possessors of certain knowledge which was not imparted to the uninitiated and they were called quote the perfected unquote. Notice we, he says uh, uh, in verse number six, we do not speak we speak wisdom among those who are perfect or mature. That's what that word means. So that's what those were called, the people who were initiated into these secret societies. They were called the perfected or the matures. He goes on to say, in the New Testament, this word denotes not the mysterious as with the English word, but that which being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension can be known only to those who are illuminated by his spirit. In the ordinary sense, that is in the English, a mystery implies knowledge withheld. Its scriptural significance is truth revealed. 
So the, so the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul use this word mystery in explaining the truths that God has withheld from the world and withheld from the uh, host of darkness and the devil. He withheld these things, they're hidden from them in order that he might reveal them to us. But the only way to, to receive this revelation or this enlightenment is to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Now you'll see that if we read on down and let's go ahead and read on down through verse 14 and you'll see this explained. In verse number eight it says, which none, this wisdom, hidden wisdom, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Notice there are some things given to us. They're given to us freely. That means they belong to us. There's not anything you have to do to get those things. They're freely given. And they belong to all believers. They have been given to all believers. And yet, the only way to see them is to have the Holy Spirit enlighten or illuminate your understanding so you can see those things because they're not discernible to the uninitiated. What, what's, the, what's the initiation? The new birth. All of these secret societies had a, 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 a ceremony of some type where people were initiated into the secret society, where our, our initiation ceremony is the new birth. We get birthed into, it's not a society, it's a family, it's the church, it's the body of Christ. Well, there are some secrets unknown to the world not understandable or perceivable to the world and not understandable or perceivable to the devil that there's a body of truth that has been given to us and it's the Holy Spirit's job to take these deeper things of God and reveal them to us. Now, I know that a lot of people in, in uh, some church circles chafe a little bit. They get a little bit irritated when people start talking about the deeper things of God as if uh, the ones who are talking about the deeper things of God have some kind of a superiority complex and we think we're superior, we know more, and so we're deeper, you know, in that sense. That's, that's not what this means at all. The Bible actually talks about this. It, it, it discusses the deeper things of God. Well, if, if there are some deeper things, then there are some less deep things. And they, they couldn't be deeper unless there's something uh, less deep, isn't that right? In fact, hold your place here and go over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews chapter six. A lot of times when I teach, because I know how the devil likes to take someone's misunderstanding and, and, and lack of, of, uh, of knowledge of things and try to twist. He does this all the time with preachers. If you just get just a little bit 
over into the deeper things of God. The devil's always trying to, trying to take something that someone says and twist it and make it to, to mean something that it's not saying. And so I have this habit, I don't know if it's a good habit or a bad habit, but I have it. I'm always explaining myself. And I'm always saying this, and I'm, if, you, if you follow me very often, you know, this is what I'm saying, but this is not what I'm, what I'm not saying because I know how the devil works. And so we've talked about uh, the fact, for instance, the humanity and deity of Christ. I go to great lengths to establish the fact that we certainly believe in the deity of Christ, but per this study and what God wants to get across to the body of Christ, we have to understand his humanity. But, but everything has to be in balance. Here in, in Hebrews, in verse number, well, go back up to the fifth chapter, verse number 12, the latter part of the fifth chapter. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. The, the Greek word that's translated first principles in, in the older King James, it's, it's referred some, it's translated sometimes as the rudimentary principles. That means the most basic, the most foundational uh, elements of something, the most rudimentary, fundamental parts. He said, you ought to be teaching others, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. So there is milk and there is solid food. Now, I don't know about you, but I like solid food in the natural. I don't like a liquid diet. I like solid food. I like some meat. But right at the same time, I drink milk every day of my life too. Isn't that right? I mean, I don't know if you do, but I do. I have milk every morning, almost every morning of my life because I eat cereal every morning. And, I, and it's floating in milk. I like, you know, cereal wouldn't be any good without milk. Isn't that right? And so milk is good. We're not, we're not denying milk, but there's milk and there's meat. Now notice what he said. Everyone who partakes only of milk, verse 13, is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a baby. No one, no one likes to be called a baby. Even little kids don't like to be called a baby. Isn't that right? Well, God doesn't want us to stay in a babyhood state of Christianity. He goes on to say, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is spiritually mature. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, now notice this is interesting. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, the fundamental, the rudimentary principles, he said, leaving these things, let us go on to perfection, not laying again. Now, when he says leaving these things, he's not talking about leaving it in the sense of abandoning these things because, because again, we like milk just as much as we like meat. Isn't that right? But you, you, you go beyond just meat, so uh, just milk. So leaving these elementary things in the sense of going beyond them and not just hanging out and dealing with the fundamental issues over and over and over again. Too many Christians, that's all their life is built on are fundamental things, basic things. He said, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, let us go on to perfection or to maturity, not laying again the foundation, 
Notice there are some foundational things. And foundational things are immensely important. You can't build a building without a foundation. You could say the foundation is the most important part of a building. But on the other hand, if all you ever lay is a foundation, you'll never get to enjoy the building. Uh, Isn't that right? He said, not laying again the foundation of, and notice, repentance from dead works. Anybody believe in repentance from dead works? Certainly, everybody does. Everybody believes. It's foundational, it's important. But it's a fundamental thing. Uh, Faith toward God, fundamental. The doctrine of baptisms, fundamental. The laying on of hands, it's a fundamental principle. The resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment to come. All of these things are described as foundational and rudimentary things. That doesn't mean they're not important. It just said, he's just saying we need to go on to something else. We need to build on top of those things and go into the things that the... I, I live in a house that's based on a foundation. The reason for the foundation is the house. The foundation wasn't laid for me to enjoy the foundation. The foundation was laid for me to enjoy the house that's built on the foundation. Amen? So, I just, you know, just want you to see the Bible talks about the, the, the deeper things of God. It talks about the fundamental things of God. Go back then to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse number nine says, as it is written, I has not seen nor heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now this is a quotation from the Old Testament and you can't take verse nine out of its setting and put it on, uh, make a refrigerator magnet out of it and stick it on your refrigerator and rejoice in this verse by itself because it leaves the impression that God has hidden things for you. And that you'll never know. A lot of people believe that. Well, you never know what God's going to do. You know, God is just mysterious. We can never figure God out. And we don't know what he's doing. And he might be, he might uh, have some uh, secret agenda in this trouble or this problem that's come into my life. We don't want to question God because after all, we don't know. That's, this verse has to be taken in, in the context of the next verse. That's an Old Testament idea. In the Old Testament, these mysteries were not revealed, but however, verse 10 says, however, although on the other hand, conversely, God has revealed these things to them, to us rather, through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Why did we receive the spirit of God? We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For what reason? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us. Glory to God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, 
because they are spiritually discerned. He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged of no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This book right here is the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ is illuminated and revealed to us by the spirit of God on the inside of us. So let's go back up and look at this verse number six and verse number seven again. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. I want you, I want you to, to contrast here the wisdom of this age versus verse seven, the wisdom of God. He said, yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers. The wisdom of this age is tied to the rulers of this age. The wisdom of this age, you could say like we saw in a previous verse, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of this age is the understanding or I could say the misunderstanding, the erroneous wisdom that the, that the rulers of the darkness of this world would have men believe. It's the rulers of the darkness of this world who control men and keep them subjugated and blinded. The Bible says that, that the devil, the Satan has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. He wants to keep them in the dark. The devil promotes, uh, uh, he denies God. He denies Christ. Uh, he, he, if, and then if people get beyond that and, and be, believe in God and believe in Christ and born again, the devil continues to promote false doctrine. He continues to promote religious traditions, the traditions of men that undermine the Bible and contradict the Bible. The devil will do everything he can to keep the Christian blinded to what belongs to him. He'll try to keep the unbeliever blinded to Christ, but when the unbeliever comes to Christ, he doesn't just say, well, I've lost another one. He continues to work against that believer to keep him blinded to the truths of God's word, to keep us blinded to what belongs to us. And so we have to press in through the word of God and through prayer, primarily praying in the spirit. I said primarily praying in the spirit. Amen. So this wisdom was hidden, but it was hidden in order to be revealed to us. It has been revealed to us in the scripture, but then it has to be our, our inward man has to be illuminated or enlightened. The eyes of our understanding have to become enlightened so that we see the things that he has clearly shown in his word. He goes on to say that the devil and his cohorts, his gang didn't understand it. Had they known, they would not have moved upon Herod to crucify Christ. But these things have been freely given. Glory to God. Amen. Now, I want you to notice this. In verse seven, it says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Now notice, now, now we know that this wisdom is truth that belongs to the Christian, belongs to the body of Christ. It's been hidden from the devil and it's hidden from the world, but it's revealed to Christians, of course, through the spirit. But he says this hidden wisdom God ordained this hidden wisdom before the ages for our glory. 
before the ages, back before man, back before the age of man, but not just the age of man because it says before the ages. Did you realize there were ages before the age of men? There were ages before the age of men or the age of mankind. So pastor, would you like to, to uh, uh, elaborate on that? Not at this time. <laughs> but it just, it's clear that it says that he ordained these things before the ages, plural. So that means there are more than one age before us. The ages, before the ages. But here's the thing I want you to see. He ordained this wisdom for us for our glory, for our glory. Now here I'm gonna do what I, what I said I always do, put everything in balance. This is, I understand, we have to have everything balance. Go over with me to 1 Timothy, the first chapter of 1 Timothy. Verse 17 says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Now this is, this is a truth that is fundamental. In, in the sense of, of glory in this sense, all glory belongs to God. Isn't that right? Glory doesn't belong to men, it belongs to God in this sense. But over in 1 Corinthians, go back there where we were, 1 Corinthians, he's not talking about the glory that belongs to God. It's not the glory he's talking about. He's talking about a glory that belongs to man. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, our glory. God ordained before the ages that man experience glory because he ordained it. Isn't that right? Now this fits very much, go with me over, hold your place because we're coming back. Go over to Hebrews, the second chapter. We've looked at these passages a lot in this study. Hebrews chapter two, verse number six, but one testified in a certain place, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, of course, this is a quotation from the eighth Psalm. And it says that God created man just a little bit lower than the angels and crowned man, that would be mankind, with glory and honor. This was, the, this was the original estate of man. God planned before the ages 
that man be crowned with glory and honor. And when Adam came on the scene, when God created Adam from the dust of the earth, he crowned him with glory and honor. That doesn't take away from God's glory. There's no, there's no uh, uh, interference here or contradiction uh, in the fact that glory belongs to God, but God gave glory. God created man to have glory. He crowned him with glory and honor and he put all things under his feet. Mankind was placed in this earth to have glory, honor, and dominion. All things were placed under his feet. That was the plan of God for man. And he goes on. Of course, we know that man lost that. Man fell from that high estate because of sin. Go on in verse number, finish verse eight and go on into verse number nine. For in that he put all in subjection under him, that is mankind, he, God, left nothing that is not put under man. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that spiritual death, crowned with glory and honor. Notice he created man and crowned man with glory and honor. Jesus came on the scene we, he humbled himself, and we've talked about this in previous messages, don't go into it, belabor it a lot, but he emptied himself of his divine or his heavenly prerogatives, the resources that belonged to him as being God, he laid aside those things and took on the form of a man and was in every sense a man. He came with all of the limitations of you and me except for sin. He was without sin, and that's a big difference. Don't, I don't want to minimize that. It's a huge difference. But on the other hand, in every other respect, he was just like us. He was absolutely a man. And then it says here that after he suffered death, after he suffered death, at some point after that, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. He was crowned with glory and honor as a man, as the consummate man, as the last Adam, the first Adam gave it away, the last Adam got it back, and as a man, he was crowned with glory and honor. What glory and honor was it? that? Now, we know as being God, the second person of the Trinity, to him belong, belongs all honor and glory. That's not the honor and glory we're talking about. Here in this verse, the glory and the honor that he was crowned with was man's glory and honor. Can you see that? He was crowned with glory and honor as a man. That doesn't, that doesn't mean he doesn't have glory and honor as God. He still does. But he as a man was crowned with glory and honor. Now notice that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting for him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. Over in Colossians, it talks about all by him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things in earth, 
visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, everything that's created and has been created was created by the Lord Jesus, by God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and was created for him, okay? But here, he says it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Now notice, in bringing many sons to glory, Jesus did what he did. He became a man in order to bring us back to the place of glory and honor that God created us to live in in the beginning. Oh, hallelujah. In bringing many sons to glory, I'm one of the many. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing to you. Glory to God. It's hard not to go on here in the next few verses. Why not? This is the wisdom. God, the Holy Spirit, has been endeavoring to unveil this wisdom to the church. Now, it's already unveiled in the scripture. I don't mean in the sense that it's never been revealed. Everything we're talking about has been revealed. The wisdom of God was hidden and it's been revealed in the New Testament. That's what Paul talked about, the mystery that that God had revealed to him, he made known. Well, it's all right here in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit has to enlighten our understanding. If he doesn't enlighten our understanding, we'll read over these things and not grasp the reality of it, and that is what has plagued the church through the centuries. The Holy Spirit has been endeavoring since the beginning of the church age to take these things and reveal the the true significance of these things to our hearts so that the church could rise up and do the works of God in the last days. That we would walk in the fullness of what belongs to us. that's That's the hidden wisdom that is now revealed, but which the Holy Spirit, and that's why Paul said, when I came, remember when in the first part of of, of, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two, he said, when I came to you, I didn't come preaching anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I preached. I didn't preach anything else. I didn't come in the wisdom of men. I didn't come in anything but Christ crucified. He says, now we need to go further. Now we're speaking the hidden wisdom to those who are mature. You have to have some degree of spiritual maturity to lay hold of the deeper things of God. Now this isn't putting anybody down and it's not not promoting anybody. There's nothing you nor I have that we don't have but by the grace of God. So it's not anybody taking... uh, uh, heirs or, 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 or uh, 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 exalting themselves, but God wants us to go on to maturity, to get beyond the babyhood state and go into the deeper things of God and see 
And not just up here, but with the eyes of our understanding being in light so that we will know the things that belong to us. This is the wisdom the Spirit of God's trying to get across to the church. Verse number 14 of, of Hebrews 2. Inasmuch then as the children, that's people, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That through death, that's talking about spiritual death. Remember, there are three kinds of death talked about in the, in the Bible. There's physical death. Physical death, we all understand, but there's spiritual death. Spiritual death is simply separation from God. And then there's eternal death or the second death, which is being cast, the Bible describes it as being cast into the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone for eternity. See, you and I have been delivered from spiritual death. We've been delivered from eternal death. You and I will never know, I'm talking about if you're born again, you and I will never know separation from God. Never. It cannot happen. There's nothing in this world that can cause it to happen. There's nothing in the world to come that can cause it to happen because we have passed from death unto life. A friend of mine said one time years ago, he said he was out in public and there's some old redneck, you know, was having a bad day or something. And he told my friend, he said, you can just go to hell. My friend says, sorry, impossible. I've already been saved. I can't go. <laughs> I, it's just an impossibility. Sorry to disappoint you and ruin your day, but I'm not going. I can't go. <laughs> we can never be separated from God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Now let's go on. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and we'll come back to that, and release those who, the, who through the fear of death, I, I like to say the terror of death or the reign of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now that describes the unsaved. All their lifetime, they are subject to bondage. What does subject mean? Well, in the old, in the old uh, ancient days, a king would have his subjects, the people in the kingdom, the citizens, what, what, they were subject to him. If he, if he rode into town, he said bow, they bowed. If he said get on the ground, get on the ground and wallow, they wallow. If he said dance, they dance. They were in complete subjection to the king. Well, that's what the word's used here. So what happened in my Bible? There you go. All their lifetime before you came to Christ, you were subject to bondage. That means bondage had your name. Bondage had your number. Bondage had absolute authority over you and bondage was in our lives constantly and we couldn't get out from under that bondage. Spiritual bondage, mental bondage, physical bondage, emotional bondage, financial bondage, just every kind of uh, uh, circumstance that floated along in this world, we were in, we were in bondage to it. But notice, all their lifetime were. We were. We were. We're not. We were, but we're not. We're no longer subject to bondage. We were all our lifetime subject to bondage. Now, all of eternity, we're free from bondage. And we're released. Go back to verse 14. 
He shared in, in the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him. Notice who had the power of death. Satan had the power of death and we were all our lifetime subject to that bondage. But Jesus in Revelation, he says, I am he who is alive and I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And besides that, I have two keys in my hand. I have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus took the authority of death and of bondage away from the devil and he controls it. Now, what does that mean that God, that Jesus controls hell and death? It says here that the devil, it just implied we know he who had the power of death, that it, well, it does say that is the devil. So the devil had the power of death. And I've explained that before, I'll, I'll say it again. That simply mean, means that before Jesus came, from the time Adam sinned until the time of Jesus' resurrection, no human being was free from the dominion of death. Through one man's sin entered the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for all of sin and death reigned. And there was nothing a person could do to get out from under it. You couldn't work enough. You couldn't be good enough and you still can't. There's nothing a person could do or can do to get out from under death. And before Jesus came, there was no remedy for it. Everyone was under, was, was subject to bondage. But when Jesus came, by his death, burial, and resurrection, the prison doors have been opened. And I don't care the most rank sinner you can think of, the most despicable, vile person you can think of, if someone shares the gospel with him and he just chooses to believe it. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I understand what you're saying and it's wonderful that you have faith, but I just don't have faith. No, they have unbelief that's keeping them. They're choosing their unbelief over faith because Hearing the word of God produces faith. And anytime you share the word of God with somebody, they have, the, they have the ability to believe it. See, they think if they don't understand everything, if they don't have it all, their questions answered, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, the whole panorama of human experience understood and how it all works together and while God works and we work. If I can't understand that, I can't have faith. That's not faith anyway. Understanding everything isn't faith. No, you can just choose. You can just say, you know, this sounds a whole lot better than the way I'm living. And my, my, my present circumstances are not very good and my future circumstances sure don't sound very good. And you know what? I'm just gonna choose to, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna, I didn't either, did you? When I chose it, I didn't understand it. I don't fully understand it yet, but I'm enjoying it. And so a sinner can just say, you know what? I, I, I don't understand it, but I choose. And, and really the sinner either chooses to believe or he chooses not to. It's a choice. And so when a sinner, before Christ came, he could choose all he wanted to and he couldn't get out from death. Spiritual death, and darkness and bondage. But since Christ came, he can just choose, I'm just gonna believe it. And I don't care what his past is. He could be locked up in the, in, 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 on death row, could be convicted of the worst kind of crimes known to humanity. Doesn't make any difference. If he chooses to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he just walks, just simply like, that. just walks right out of death. 
just steps right out of death into life. Why? Because Jesus took the, the authority, the power of death back from the devil and now the doors are open. Jesus holds the keys of hell and death, but he's used those keys to unlock both of them. Both hell and death have been unlocked. They're, the doors are open. Anybody can come out. Oh, glory to God. Now, it says here in Hebrews, go back to Hebrews 2 again. Hebrews 2. And look at verse 14 again. That he might destroy him. Through death, Jesus might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now when we, the normal way we, we think in English when we use the word destroy, we think of something being annihilated. You know, it's destroyed. You, you have a, a, a big pile of trash in your yard and you set it on fire you destroy it. I mean, it just burns down to nothing. It's just ash. And you just scatter it on the ground and it just becomes part of the ground and, and that those branches and, and tree branches and things that were there, they're not there anymore. They're destroyed, they're gone. Well, the devil is not a tree branch. <laughs> He's not a physical being. He can't be destroyed in that sense because all spirits are eternal. God's eternal, the devil's eternal, you and I are eternal. We, we cannot be destroyed. You are going to be somewhere for eternity. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, like I've said, you cannot go to hell. You cannot be separated from God. You will eternally be with God. But you will be. You will be. You will exist. Some of you aren't too happy, probably aren't too happy about it, but you'll look just like you look now. A better version, no doubt but we'll recognize one another. Hallelujah. I won't walk up to Margaret and say, now, what's your name again? <laughs> Amen. When it says that through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death, this word destroy in, in the original Greek, it means to render powerless or inoperative. Another definition is to make, I like this one, it says to make useless for the purpose of its existence. The, devil, the purpose of the devil's existence was to keep man in bondage, but he's been made useless for that purpose. Amen. See, destroyed in that sense. Uh, another another definition, or actually translation in, uh, remember in Romans 3, you want to turn there in Romans 3, it, it talks about making the promises of God without effect. That's the same word here. Same word destroyed. That it might make the promises of God without effect. So we could say that here, he was, he, he, that through death, he might make him who had the power of death without effect. The devil's without effect. Glory to God. Uh, one translation says, New English Bible says to break the power of. Burke's translation says to neutralize. Rotherham's translation says that he might paralyze, paralyze him who had the power of death. Moffat's translation says that he might crush him who had the power of death. That is the devil. The good speed says that he might dethrone him who had the power of death. Think about that. That's why Jesus came. 
that by yielding to death, by submitting to death, he dethroned him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, go, this would be a good time to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter one again. Are you getting anything out of this? Because I'm just having a blast. <laughs> Praise God. I know the hour is still young and early, so we have a long time here. Verse six, 1 Corinthians 2, 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. That word coming, that phrase coming to nothing. To bring to naught. It is the same verb that's translated dethrone destroy we speak the wisdom among those who are mature not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are destroyed who are dethroned that's the way the Moffat's translation reads here it says the dethroned rulers of this age Satan in his capacity as the, as the one who held tight grip, an absolute grip on spiritual death and the bonded, had man in bondage. In his capacity as the one who held all men in bondage, he has been dethroned. Now, the word dethroned, if you look up the English word dethroned, it means to remove from a throne or place of prominence, to depose to remove from office, position, or authority, especially high office. To dethrone someone is to remove them from high office, to, to remove them from their place, to take them down from their reign and, and completely bring them down. When someone's dethroned, they are brought down. Satan... The Bible says he is still the God of this world. Well, I would, I would say that's a pretty high place. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, calls Satan the God of this world. That's a, that's a high place. He, he achieved this place. Remember when Jesus was being tempted, Satan said, if you, will, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world and the authority of them for that's been delivered to me. That's a pretty high place to be. Jesus didn't say, no, you don't have that authority. He recognized that Satan had that. But Jesus said, no, I'm not gonna worship you. The Bible says only you only worship God. Jesus had another way of getting that authority. Satan didn't know this wisdom. He didn't understand this hidden wisdom. The way Jesus, Satan's offering to Jesus the kingdoms of this world, the authority of this, of this earth. And Jesus, he's thinking, I'm sure he's thinking, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it in a way you would never imagine. I'm gonna get it by submitting to death. I'm gonna submit to death and God's gonna raise me up. He, when he came out of the tomb, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Oh, glory to God. Now, 
Satan is still the God of this world, but you and I are in this world, Jesus said, but we're not of this world. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. We've been translated into the kingdom of his son. So Satan is still the God of this world, but he has been dethroned in the sense that he no longer has the authority and power of hell and of death and anybody can come out and come into the church where he has no authority, where he has no power, where he has no reign. He has nothing to say, nothing to do. He has no ability. He can't do a thing to you. That's why Jesus told them in, in Luke, the 10th chapter, they came back and you know, he sent the team out and they came back and said, even the demons are subject unto us in your name. He said, I was there in the beginning Back before I ever came to this planet as, as Jesus, I was there when Satan was cast, I beheld Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. He said, I give you power and authority over all demons and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, he gave that temporarily to his disciples. We have that in the new birth in an absolute sense. There is nothing the enemy can do to you. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, I, I want to believe that. You might be thinking, Pastor, I have believed that. You might be thinking, Pastor, I've heard that for a long time. And I try to walk in that. But the devil still is able to pull some things off. I, I, I see some victories, but I have some defeats too. The devil still has some way of working in my life. I, I, I just, I have some answered prayers, but I have some unanswered prayers. I have some time, sometimes when I rain, but I have some times when it doesn't look like I'm raining and, and, and uh, I have to find some alternative answers. I'm telling you, this is the hidden wisdom that, that the Spirit of God is trying to unveil and get across to the church. And when you see it, when you see it, not up here, but down here, when you see it down here, it'll be the end of those failures, those lack of, of, of uh, no prayers not being answered, being under the dominion of sickness and lack and things that happen that you know are contrary to the word of God and you believe these things but you just haven't been able to, to see them come uh, to, come to pass and, and to walk in the fullness of I'm telling you, it's yours. It's yours, it's yours. God is taking us to that place, but it will only come by the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Say, so, well, I, 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 I understand it, pastor, I see it. If you're not walking in absolute total victory, every prayer answered, overcoming every time, without fail, if you're not walking in that, at that level, you don't understand it enough. You just haven't had your eyes enlightened enough. 
So what are you going to do? You're going to get back into this book. You're going to get back on your knees. You're going to pray in the spirit, seek God, stay before the word, stay in, the, in praying in the spirit, and just stay at it until your eyes are enlightened. And when your eyes are enlightened, you're going you're gonna to step high. Glory to God. I mean, you're going to go, no, 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 no. You've been putting that on me. You've been messing up in my life all these years. This, this chronic thing that just I've never been able to seem to get victory ever. This day, it's coming to an end. Right now, it's stopping. I'm not having it in the more in my life. That's gonna happen when your eyes are sufficiently enlightened. I said sufficiently enlightened. You can have a little bit of enlightenment, but a little bit of enlightenment will get you a little bit of victory. I'm wanting absolute victory. I'm wanting to walk in all the victory, so I'm gonna have to have all the enlightenment. Say, can can you have it? Yes. That's what, it was hidden for us. That's why God hid it for us, so that we could get it, so that we could see it. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Ah, well, praise the Lord. God is taking the body of Christ. And it's not so much that now is the time and God has finally decided to take us on higher. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the body of Christ, I sense is becoming hungry enough and and determined enough. And we've seen enough failure. And we've seen enough defeat. And we've seen a, we've had enough answered unanswered prayers. And we've seen enough of the devil and, and what he can do in our lives and in our in our families and in our business and in our homes. And, and we're fed up with it. He's been waiting on you to get fed up. God's not been waiting for a certain time to reveal this. He'd been waiting on us to press into it. And, and, and this is what has hindered the return of the Lord. Because the church can't do its job until it walks in its authority. Glory to God. So because we're, because we've gotten ready, God's taking us on. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.